God can and wants to use each of us, no matter our background, education, or how we look or act. Here's Pastor Ed Taylor. God uses all kinds of people to accomplish his wonderful plan on the earth, and it seems as if it seems as if that many times God will go out of his way to use the unlikely person. He'll go out of his way so that you stand back and you give all glory to God for what he's doing through that person. You're just like, wow, what a display of your love, God. This is amazing grace. One of the greatest joys in life is being used by God. And the cool thing is, He can and wants to use each and every one of us. You don't need a degree on the wall or years of experience under your belt to qualify, just a willingness to present yourself to Him. Today on Abounding Grace, we'll spend some time looking at the call and life of John the Baptist. While he was just an ordinary guy, God used him in extraordinary ways. Here's Pastor Ed Taylor in John chapter 1. Well, there are many things that when I ponder and think about God, there's a lot of things that I just stand in awe of and what I appreciate about him. I think of his power. It's amazing, the power of God or the sovereignty of God or the goodness of God or the mercy of God. Sometimes there'll just be even things where during the week, there's just one attribute of God that you're really studying or thinking about or meditating on. And when you step back and think of all the things that you love about God, all the things that you admire about God, I mean, as you read about him, as you talk about him, as you talk to him, as you talk with him, as you serve unto him, your love and appreciation just grows more and more. And here's one thing in this topic of our Bible study here in John chapter 1 that really impresses me, that really blesses me, that really relates directly to me on a personal level, and it does for you as well. That is, I'm struck and I'm encouraged by the people that God chooses to use. That's just something that is encouraging to me, that God will use anyone that presents themselves to him. People like Adam and Eve and Abraham, Isaac, Judah, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. I think of Saul of Tarsus who becomes Paul the Apostle. I think of me in my own life, on my own background, that God would give us the privilege of engaging a culture with the love of Jesus, but even more than that, before we ever engage the culture, that God would give us the blessing of engaging him personally, of having a personal relationship with God himself. That, that blows my mind. That, that's something that really encourages me. But it's the truth. The truth is that God will use you, and God can use you. I think of how, you know, you remember that passage of Scripture back in, you can just jot it down, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, where Paul tells the whole church, he says, just look at yourself. 
Consider yourself, not many noble, not many wise. Let me read it to you. It says, For you see your calling, brethren, that not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called, but God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. And you think, you go, whoa, of course, the Corinthian church, the foolish things of the world. No, no, God is still making that same choice over and over again, choosing us, the foolish things of the world, the things that the people that would just, uh, just surprise you and will cause you to step back and go, God, you're just so good that you would use me, that you would use her. The passage goes on to say God chooses weak things and base things, things that are despised, things that are not to bring to nothing the things that are so that no flesh would glory in his presence. God uses all kinds of people to accomplish his wonderful plan on the earth and it seems as if It seems as if that many times God will go out of his way to use the unlikely person. He'll go out of his way so that you stand back and you give all glory to God for what he's doing through that person. You're just like, wow, what a display of your love, God. It's the truth that, well, it's the truth that let you and I in the door to serve God in his kingdom. It's the truth that let you and I be entrusted with the ministry that God can use and will use anyone. It's what gives us hope and encouragement every day, not only for ourselves, but there's a lot of people in our lives that we just really want to see God do a great thing. And, and when we're praying for them, we're reminded that God uses all these unlikely people to accomplish his will precisely, specifically. Even people that you might have written off, God didn't write off. And they'll just come back to just surprise you. You go, wow, it's amazing what you do, God. And one of the men that I think fits this category is a guy that we've already met. His name is John, John the Baptist. Not John that wrote the gospel, but John the Baptist. Now, John the Baptist isn't his first, middle, and last name. He's not John, Mr. Baptist. It's because of what he was doing. He's identified as the John that was baptizing, basically, is what we're seeing. This is the John that was baptizing. John with a very special role in the life of Jesus. John that was chosen chosen by God to be used in a great way. And one of the men that might have been passed over by us could have very well been John. Well, we say, well, why, Ed? Well, you know, we could, we look at John and he didn't look like everyone else. He had a very unique approach to life. He just kind of let his hair all grow and his beard grow and he ate locusts. Can you imagine? He's just like, what, what, what did you have for dinner last night? Grasshoppers. And, and he was all, he, he was someone that, well, and you know, perhaps this is something the Lord's just speaking to you about. When you size somebody up on the outside, you judge them by what you see. You look at somebody like John, you go, oh, well, yeah, God can use you in this way. Well, why? Well, look at you. You don't look like everyone else. And not only do you not look like everyone else, but you kind of look a little weird, man. That's just a little abnormal. And even using those words, you're like, well, wait a minute. Like, who defines what weird is and abnormal? I mean, is it you? Is it me? How could he be passed over? Well, the way he looked, his personality. He was not one of those guys that was quiet. He's very loud and boisterous. Very bold and courageous. He's one of those guys that would get up in your face and not worry about the the nuances of what it might do or why if you might be offended or anything. God had him in a particular way. So not only did he look different, but he also acted differently. And you know, people that usually, people that we would perceive as looking differently and acting differently, they often get overlooked. 
But I want you to know, and you might even perceive yourself like that. You go, well, Ed, you know, I'm a little different, and I, I have a little different outward appearance. And I, oh, hey, you might consider yourself that, but I want you to know that God doesn't overlook you. It is true. It is true. The Bible says, and, and we're going to learn it when we get into Samuel. Uh, here, we're going to start this Wednesday. We're going to be starting right in the beginning of 1 Samuel. But there's a passage of Scripture when Samuel's choosing the king. He, he sizes up uh, the oldest son of Jesse, and, and God says, no, 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 you're looking at him on the outward. Man looks at the outward, but God looks at the heart. Man looks at the outward, but God looks at the heart. Both parts of those are true. That's why those that I serve with, those that are with me, um, those that serve alongside of me, we walk along the path, and I remind them, hey, look, man does look on the outward. So make a choice and a decision so that you can make things easier to present the gospel to someone, and they're not immediately you know, offended by your, what you're wearing or what you're doing. Keep that in mind. Of course, you need to do that between you and the Lord, but why would we want to make decisions that would make it harder for us to reach people than, than we would make decisions easier? And so it, man does look on the outward, but the reality is, is that God looks at the heart. And so you and I have to be very, very careful with our eyes as we measure people up on the outward. Because we come across John the Baptist. There he is out in the wilderness. He's not hanging out with normal people. He doesn't look normal. He doesn't act normal. And, and yet God has specifically chosen him for one of the most important things that man has ever been able to be a part of on the planet Earth. Never to be repeated ever again. He has a very unique call. He has a very unique mission to announce Messiah. <laughs> That's John the Baptist. God used him in a great way. It didn't matter what he looked like or what he sounded like. He was uniquely prepared and used in such a way. You know, we know from other gospels that he is, John is the son of Zacharias. Zacharias was a priest. We meet him offering incense in the temple. And when he was doing that, an angel came to him and told him that his wife Elizabeth would have a child. And being the human that he was, Zacharias demanded a sign. What is it about us that when God says something super crystal clear to us, we demand more evidence? So, yeah, I hear from you, God, but, you know, do this. I, I remember uh, that passage of Scripture where, you know, Gideon puts out a fleece. You know, we kind of use that all, and we, we use that as ways to test it. But if God has spoken, there's no need for the fleece because the fleece is going to end up exactly what God has spoken to begin with. And so he demands a sign, and the angel answers, well, you know what? I'm Gabriel, and I'm sent by God. And it's almost as if, and I'll paraphrase, you want a sign? Well, here's your sign, buddy. You're not going to be able to talk until your son is born. How's that? Goodbye. So go ahead and ask for a sign today and see what you, it's like, what's wrong with you? you know, yeah, God gave you a sign, didn't he? And by the time that John comes forth and is born from the womb, dad writes his name, writes it down. He says, make sure his name is John. That's how we're naming him. Now, being in a priest home, it would no doubt then have the line of John's life kind of set for him that if dad was a priest, then he too would become a priest and follow in his dad's footsteps. But we find out from his life that that's not the calling of God upon his life. The calling of God upon his life was not to become a priest like his dad. It was to be this wild, crazy-looking guy in the wilderness screaming and preaching repentance and telling everybody, you know what, Messiah's coming. That was his call in life. Now, 
we look at John the Baptist being in the, the home of his dad, the priest, and it, it's, it's not that much of a connection with us today. So let me bring it down to you today. Let's just consider it for what that would look like today. John in today's society, in today's ter- terminology, would be considered a pastor's kid. Now, some of you, have you ever heard the phrase pastor's kid? Or even more abbreviated, you would call them a PK? I hate that. It's not fair to the kids. It's not fair to my kids. Now, of course, my kids have grown up. They're much older now. But to label kids as pastor's kids, well, there's already, let me tell you, there's already enough pressure upon kids living in a pastor's home that they don't need the added pressure of being labeled a pastor's kid or a PK. I'm not very fond of, and I never have been very fond of that title. So being in the ministry personally and having raised my kids for the most part uh, in the ministry, I know the pressures that go along with being in a pastor's home. The spiritual leader is in a fishbowl. Let me just say it this way. The spiritual leader, the pastor, is in a voluntarily, we voluntarily submit our lives to the Lord. And with that comes a voluntarily, a voluntary commitment to be in a fishbowl. We have a more prominent open life. Um, where, you know, as I've mentioned even earlier, that, you know, when we go through a trial, we go through it in a more public way, you know, than, than most people have to. You know, when most people, I was thinking in my own life, when, you know, in the grief that my wife and I have been experiencing as a family, all of us have been experienced, my kids, we, most people get to grieve privately. But for a pastor, God has ordained it that there be a more openness in my life to be able for us to share together God's work in my life through grief. That's just from the Lord. It's voluntary. I don't despise it. I don't complain about it. I embrace it. It's God's calling upon my life. It's just different, though. You gotta, I share this for the sake of just saying it's different. It's different for kids growing up in a pastor's home. And I'm concerned that, that not only in our church, but in churches around, like the young guys that are getting, the young guys on staff that have really young kids, I just want you to know that they're not pastor's kids. They have names. They have personalities. You know, there, there has been, uh, when, when you look at it, you go, well, you're pastor's Ed's kid, aren't you? No, don't, no, they have a name. It'd be better to say, what's your name? I mean, what other kids do you do that to you? You're walking around, you go, oh, you're, you're Joe's kid, aren't you? Like, you know, if you don't know them, you, you want to get to know them. You want to get down on their level. And, and so one of the things that we've appreciated through Calvary is that generally, almost, you know, almost uh, completely, um, the church here has been really good to our kids growing up. Been very good. Haven't had a bit. There were a couple episodes where we dealt individually with folks that put a little extra pressure on my kids. But being in the ministry puts a unique pressure on pastor's kids, on pastor's children, because they're in a pastor's family. But just remember this, whether this church or that church or any church, the pastor's kids are, well, if they're pastor's kids, then that makes them what? Kids. And what do kids do? They act like kids. And so... We need to give them the freedom to be who they are and grow up. Just because my kids grew up in a pastor's home, like my son Eddie, the calling of Eddie's life was not to be a pastor like his dad. It was to be a cop. 
And that's what he fulfilled. That was what he was going to be in the ministry as a cop. And he was doing a great job as a cop. Now, my son, Josh, uh, he's in his 20s now. He senses a call to the ministry. So we're providing an environment for him to be able to grow and see if that's his calling. But if he finds out that he has a different calling, guess what? He's going to get 100% of my support. Do what God's called you to do. And my daughter... You know, as she grows up, she's going to be seeking the Lord for her life, and then, and I'm going to support her on whatever her calling is, but they're kids, and so be careful with the unusual expectations and things that you put on them. It's hard enough for them, you know, get to know them, pray for them. Personally, I don't want to pressure my kids or any of the pastors around me or pastors that I know. I don't want to pressure their kids or them to make them just, just develop and watch your kids grow. And, and so John was kind of a pastor's kid, but he didn't grow up to be a pastor in that sense. He grew up with a very unique calling in his life. And we have had the privilege of raising our kids almost into adulthood, almost all of them now into adulthood. And we're just so blessed by the church here. There's been very, very good to my kids. And we got a lot more kids and the staff coming and all the leaders' kids. And, and you know, we want to be, be wise parents. So we don't, just because there's a person in spiritual leadership doesn't give them a pass to be bad parents. So there's always a balance. We're discipling, just like you are, discipling our children to be God followers. You know, you have the privilege of discipling your kids, and some of you have the privilege of being a part of your grandkids' life. You have a responsibility to disciple your kids, your grandkids, in the ways of the Lord, and don't put any unrealistic expectations on them. Just point them in the way of the Lord, because you never know, they might grow up to be John the Baptist. You know, a lot of times we were talking about, maybe you're raising the next Billy Graham. Great, maybe you're raising the next John the Baptist. He comes out, you know, he comes out with the beard and the locusts. What do you want for dinner? Well, we're eating steak. I want grasshoppers, mom. You know, it's like, all right. You never know. So pick up with me with all that in mind. It's a little big introduction to verse 19, John chapter 1. And... We do appreciate the love and care that you've given our family and the environment where our kids have grown up. And yeah, they, put, they face a little more pressure than others, but God has been very gracious and we're very blessed with our kiddos. Verse 19, now this is the testimony of John when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? Now, this was normal. This was a normal thing for the spiritual leaders of the day to examine those that would come claiming to speak in God's name, like John was, coming from with his father being a priest. This was normal. The Jewish leaders were given the responsibility to investigate and to check people out. And they were living out what we would say later for us in the church and leaders, where the Bible says in 1 Peter chapter 5, shepherd the flock of God which is among you, serving as overseers, not by compulsion, but willingly, not for dishonest gain, but eagerly. You know, shepherd the flock that's among you. Take care of them. Watch out for them. Be there with them. So their questions are legitimate. Notice verse 20, he answers, He confessed and did not deny, but confessed that I am not the Christ. Uh, Not the Christ. And they asked him, what then? Are you Elijah? He said, I'm not. Are you the prophet? He answered, no. Then they said to him, who are you that we may give an answer to those who sent us? What do you say about yourself? So the questions are legitimate. They're asking him, who are you? And then they get a little theological, and they ask him specifically these questions. Are you Elijah? Are you the prophet? Then who are you? Now, the thing, the the area that I want to draw out for you in this section in John, that I think the big picture that we take away is the incredible humility of John. The incredible humility of John. 
Because put yourself, I know sometimes it's hard to do that, but put yourself just in his shoes for a second. You, you have a, a prominent ministry. You're out in the wilderness. People are coming to you. They're listening to your message. They're responding to your message. You're baptizing them. They're following you. They become, we'll learn later, they become disciples or followers of John as he comes proclaiming repentance and the coming Messiah. I mean, there, there is a lot to be said. So think for a moment what he could have said. He could have said very legitimately, you know, you know what? You know who I am? I'm a priest. I'm, a, I'm somebody that God's chosen to use, and I, I'm one of you guys. I'm a very important priest. Or he could have even said that he was a prophet because he came as a messenger of God. He was actually the last Old Testament prophet that would come on the scene until the coming prophet that God truly promised came in the person of Jesus Christ. He could have said, I'm called of God. He could have said, I'm a messenger of God. I'm a very important messenger of God. What do you mean? You don't know who I am? You don't know who I am? You're asking me? You don't even know? He could have said a lot of things, but what he did say in verse 20, not even for a second did he claim to be the Christ. He says, I am not the Christ. And I love his answer, verse 23. The answer to who he was is, I'm a voice. That's who I am. I'm a voice of one crying in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. A couple things to note about that. Number one, when John was asked who he was, he identified himself from the word. He quoted a scripture here as Isaiah. He quoted this. He says, you want to know who I am? I am who Isaiah spoke of, which would be a good model for you and I to follow where you gain your identity, not in this world, not in what you do for the Lord, not in what your career is, not in how much money you make, not in how much you do or how much you don't do. Like, like for instance, let me give you an example. This is one you could take away right, right away and use right away. Somebody just asks you, you know, who are you? And they're, they're kind of asking like they are with John, trying to figure, out, figure you out and who are you? One of the things you could say spiritually, you could say this. You could say this by quoting a scripture of your own life. You could say, I'm a new creation in Christ. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. You know, that's yours. You could do the same thing as John. You identify yourself. And who are you? And maybe even the enemy comes knocking at the door. You know, your own mind's playing tricks on you. And you're starting to condemn yourself. And you're going, and who are you? Well, you know what? I'm a child of God. I'm loved of God. I belong to him. I'm saved. I'm a new creation. On and on, you could go through the Bible and look at your identity. You can see your identity. But secondly, when he's asked who he is, not only does he use the Bible to describe himself, but secondly, he just claims to be a voice. He doesn't even claim in his humanity. He doesn't even go through his lineage. He, doesn't, he says, I'm just a voice. I'm just a mouth. That's all I am. I'm just a mouth. You know, later on in John chapter 3, John the Baptist is also going to point to Jesus and he's going to say, he must increase, but I must decrease. This humility has been woven into his life. He, I believe that it was a requirement for him to be used so greatly. And I even see it today in my own life. I see it with us in the church. I see this. To the degree that you recognize and are humble, it will be to the degree that God uses you. So it looks like this. The more humble you are, the more God will use you. You go, Ed, how can you say such a thing? Because the Bible says, God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. 
We're enjoying a study in the Gospel of John here on Abounding Grace. Pastor Ed Taylor is our teacher on the program, and you can hear these studies online at AboundingGraceRadio.com and through the Calvary Church app. Check out Ed's blog at EdTaylor.org. And look for his podcast. It's called Lead to Serve on Apple Podcasts. That's Lead, the number two, Serve. There he discusses the value of servant leadership. And I should also mention Abounding Grace is available by podcast. Hey, thank you for remembering Abounding Grace in your giving to the Lord. Every gift that comes in goes right to ministry. It plays an important role in helping us bring the truths of God's Word to the radio every day. And when you support the ministry today with a gift of $25 or more, we'll say thanks by sending you Pastor Chuck Smith's very popular book, Love the More Excellent Way. We toss the word around rather casually. We say we love pizza, we love our dog, and we love our spouse. Hopefully not in that order. But what is love? It would serve us well to look into this and receive God's perspective. And love, the more excellent way, gives that to us. You'll walk away with a greater understanding of the beautiful depth of God's love for us and develop a deeper understanding of God's heart for us. To order it today, call 877-30-GRACE. That's 877-30-GRACE. Or make a request online at calvaryco.store. Again, that's calvaryco.store. And if you'd like to make a donation to the ministry and not interested in the book, you can donate safely and securely at AboundingGraceRadio.com. Glad to have you with us for today's broadcast. We look forward to continuing the journey through John next time on Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. In the meantime, let's be drawing on God's abounding grace for daily living. This is amazing grace. Abounding Grace is brought to you by Calvary Church, Colorado, here in Aurora.